Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Seabass from WNWS in Jackson, Tennessee will join us today as he does most weeks. Seabass appears on our guest line today. The guest line is presented by Bowl and Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue how comfortable Bowl and Branch sheets could be until I got some. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code VANDY and get $50 off your first set of sheets. The title sponsor of our podcast this year is Jody Jones DDS, trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and aesthetics of your smile. Jody Jones provides a range of sought-after dental and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice in Nashville. He's earned the title of number one in Nashville for his cosmetic dentistry and provides a unique luxury environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile or other services. Patients enjoy getting services from Dr. Jones and his attentive team in a spy-like atmosphere. Dr. Jones has worked with many artists, movie stars, and celebrities over the years and is dedicated to providing first-rate results to all of his patients. He never compromises quality so patients can be confident they will always receive the highest level of care. Thank you to Jody Jones DDS for making this season of the podcast possible. Our news is presented by our good friends at Sutherland and Belk, an SEC sports-loving injury firm in Nashville. These guys will shoot you straight on your rights and options when you have been injured in an accident. Please call them at 615-846-6200 to get your questions answered. You can also visit them online at sbinjurylaw.com. The SEC's preseason baseball polls are out. The Commodores pick second behind Florida in the SEC East. That's no surprise. The Gators are the consensus number one team in the land. The Commodores place two players on the all-SEC teams. Kumar Rocker, first team at pitcher. Jack Leiter, second team at pitcher. Seabass joined us from WNWS in Jackson, Tennessee, as he does most Thursdays, how are you, my good friend? Oh, living the dream, sir. Man, living the dead gum dream, ready to do another podcast. I'm dreaming of baseball season, and it's almost here. I know you are. I just wish I could get as hyped up about it as you. I'm trying. I'm trying. What's wrong with me, dude? I just, I can't. Well, I mean, frankly, there's, there's just not a lot left to get excited about between that and spring football. <laughs> so. No. Uh, well, for you, there's not. <laughs> that's, uh, for me, that's when I get into potential free agency. Then I start looking at my pods, getting ready to report. See, I kind of shift. After, after football's over, because basketball has been, well, what it's been for uh, so long now, I, I, I kind of shift into pro mode. But I do love our, our baseball doors. I, do, I don't want it to sound like I don't. I do care uh, how they do, and I watch them. It just doesn't uh, stir my drink. You know, you know the way it yours does. Well, March is my favorite time of the year because I love the NCAA tournament. Baseball has started on the college level by that point, and on the pro level, it's just around the corner. And spring training is in full swing. It's just, you know, on this beat, the basketball's just got to be a complete and total drag. Yeah, uh, you know, and for me, one of the things that I usually love, and I'll be interested to find out, and I'm sure we don't know the information on that, but I know that you'll. Uh, you guys will dig it up soon, but because of the fact that there's no combine this year, which sucks, uh, but the fact the fact that there's no combine this year means that each one of these programs are going to amp up their their uh, their pro day 
So I'll be interested to see when Vanderbilt's pro day is and how they approach. Of course, it'll be Clark Lee's first pro day as the head coach, but uh, it becomes so much more important this year for, you know, guys like Dio and, 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 and a couple of the other guys who are looking to make it to the next level because we don't have a combine. That's where they're going to make their money. So I'll be interested to see when the dates come out and how they handle that, how it's all structured under Clark Lee. Yeah, wouldn't it be weird to come in as a new coaching staff and host a pro day for guys you didn't coach and will never coach? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, he never coached Dio. He's never going to. Uh, but, you know, I, I think he doesn't approach me as somebody who's just going to just do it just because it has to be done. I think that he's going to look at it as as at least to me on the surface of what everything else I see him doing that he's going to put – everything has got into it as well. Uh, and it's very important, you know, uh, for these kids who normally will get the opportunity to show themselves up in Indianapolis. Now the pro day is the focus big time. So hopefully uh, uh, the, a couple of guys that are looking to make it to the next level can, can really show out there. And you know what? I think one thing, uh, I think, uh, you know, I don't know if we have any guys on the receiving core who are going to be playing in the NFL or not, but it's good to have a guy like a Ken Seal, somebody who can, you know, you can trust an accurate thrower and things like that. Those things are important, you know, because again, you don't get that extra uh, opportunity uh, that you would have had in the combine. So uh, this is a, it's very important. And I don't know when the pro day is for Vanderbilt. I haven't seen a schedule for that, uh, but it's going to be fairly important this time around for sure. Yeah, they haven't set a date on anything, spring practice, and of course now, you know, baseball, no fans in the stands for God knows how long. So, oh man, it's been almost a year since we've been in this funk as a society. I'm over it. Are you really? (laughs) I know that comes as a surprise, but I know nobody else shares that feeling. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, no, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm so excited about it. As long as look, as long as we get us a an NCAA tournament this year, you know, and and have a college baseball season, two things that we missed out on last year. I think everything's going to be fine. We'll return back to normal. It's modified to be sure, uh, but those are two sporting events that really. It just it was crippling to 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 be canceled last year, and I, I'm just grateful we're in a position right now. Even though, like I said, it may be a little modified, I'm grateful that we're going to be able to do these two things because they need to have, especially you know, for me for college baseball. I mean, it just really sucks because you know, Coach Corbin was coming off of a of a national championship, and I really wanted to see what this pitching staff could do and how they how they would how that would turn out. But uh, they got another year to prepare for it, and. You know, I'm, I'll just say this. I, even though I don't love it as much as you, uh, college baseball, I am a fan. I am excited to see uh, this pitching staff. And not only that, uh, how, how, how the everyday lineup will, will, will go and how they'll, they'll advance. Because, I mean, I don't think, I mean, at least on paper, they don't look to me to be like one of the uh, more uh, offensive juggernaut or anything like that. And there's still questions out there. But, I mean, way I'm looking at it, man, if you can go out there, well, and then you tell me if I'm wrong, Chris, if this team can go out there and score, if they score five runs a game, I mean, you got to feel really good with that rotation. Oh, I think so too. I think the lineup is the concern. I've been hearing that and digging in on that. Look, it's a talented team. It's just a weird thing because a lot of the times players develop as sophomores, right? And you yeah. have so much of that team that just got 80% of that phase wiped out last year. And it wasn't just the games, but it's the who. You know, you didn't get to see SEC pitching. And so you got other teams, Florida being one in particular, where you've got a lot of guys that have got weekend SEC at-bats. For this team, that's just not the case. And I think it's starting to be a bit of a concern. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see how it unfolds. But golly, Bill, I just I don't know that I've ever seen a a rotation like this uh, from a potential standpoint. I mean, I mean, it's you you look at the top two picks in the draft. How'd you like to be the the second pick in the draft and not even the number one pitcher in your rotation? This is how deep the league is this year. I mean, the LSEC teams came out today as picked by the league. Jaden Hill at LSU, who some people think is the best pitcher in the draft. Now, that's a minority opinion or maybe got more potential than either Rock or a lighter. 
Now, Jaden Hill's been hurt a lot, so we don't really know, but he wasn't even on the first or second team, all SEC squads, which for some reason they only pitch or pick two pitchers. Uh, but in any case, uh, you got Max Ferguson at Tennessee, who's been All American, was second team All SEC. It's just crazy how much talent there is in the league this year. Boy, you got that right. Now you got see. This is what I'm going to need to get me hyped up about baseball, about the college baseball season. More talk like this. Um, so we'll see. Uh, when, when is uh, when's the first game? A week from Friday, the nineteenth. You may go, huh? <laughs> well, I don't know that we're going to get get in. Frankly, I think there's a lot of question about that. I will watch on TV, but I don't know that media is going to get let in. Do we know who's getting the ball to start things off? Well, Kumar Rocker will get the ball. Okay. Who's and the, then they'll go the lighter in Schultz. Who, who's that third guy? Schultz. Definitely. Where, That's what the, I was where, told where today. Where, where does Little fit into this? Little, from what I was told today, is going to be a reliever this year. Now, he might make some starts, some short starts midweek, but don't be expecting Christian Little to be your your Sunday guy giving you six or seven innings. I just don't think right now that's realistic for him. Um, I think he's a, a one- or two-inning guy on this team. Now, again, that may change at year's end, but... I, I don't think he is going to make the impact that a lot of people probably think he'd make given where he was ranked. Right. Not that he's a bad pitcher, but, I mean, think about this. I don't think he even had a season last year or not much of one, and then he's enrolling in January. He didn't get to come in the fall and work out with the team. So the timeline on that is, is just really bad. I mean, he didn't, he didn't get to go through the fall that he normally would have gone through. So – I think that's got a lot to do with it. Right. Plus, you know, when you look at the freshman's uh, freshman output of, of Rocker and of Lighter, what they were able to do in their brief time, uh, you know, you don't want to you don't you don't want to hold that against Little if he doesn't have that same type of flash, you know. Because I mean, look, I mean, did, w was it you that said he was maybe the? He may not have said. Did you say something along the lines that this was the top rated, uh, top uh, top rated? pitching prospect to come to Vanderbilt, period? I think that's the case. It might depend on who you consult, but I don't know that there's been anybody more highly rated than him. Okay, so, but, I mean, you know, if the, the guy didn't come out and dominate, that doesn't mean that it was bust material or that he was overrated or anything like that. I mean, you know, to be able to come in that early, you know, into that league and to dominate is a very difficult thing to do. I mean, you know, that's one of those things where maybe this time – two years from now, he's the number one pitcher in America. Yeah, I think that's a fair way to say it. Uh, I don't think yeah, it's a talent cool. issue. It's just, again, it's the circumstances that I mentioned. Yeah, plus, I mean, you know, if he's going to, let's say, Illinois, you know, <laughs> well, then he's expected to come in and be the number one guy in the rotation or something like that. That's the beauty of having this rotation and and some of the strength at the top of it is you don't have to force him uh, to be ready before he is ready. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I think this is an ideal situation for him. Here, a place like Florida where they're also really deep with pitchers, I think under the circumstances, it's perfect. Enough. That's about all the baseball I got. <laughs> Let you know right now till they get going. Uh, little Auburn, Randy. Talk a little Auburn, Randy. What you saw? Yeah, I mean, not what I expected. I thought that would be a shootout uh, where Pippen and Sharif Cooper would lock horns and maybe get 30 each. Uh, Pippen didn't have that good of a game, to be honest. And I know he fouled out, but, uh, you know, the the what was it? The assist-to-turnover ratio was way out of whack. and I mean, frankly, Sharif Cooper just took that game over down the stretch, and that was the difference. Yeah, you know, the, this, it's one of those deals where you, you, you thought, okay, maybe we're starting to turn a little bit of a corner here. And uh, they, they just that was a very winnable basketball game. And we're going to look back at this season. Uh, and look, this is a one-conference win team so far. So I'm not going to pretend like this is a good basketball team that hasn't just, just hasn't gotten lucky. 
but they, they've had a couple of games here where they simply could have won and they just did not make enough plays. And, and, you know, I'm sitting there looking at this basketball team and I even said something on Twitter. It might've been two games ago or after the Auburn game. And it was just that we just have to find a way. I mean, I'm going to tell you something right now. Dylan DeSue is a very, very talented basketball player. And that's not me breaking news to anybody. But that dude's got to drive. He's got the length. There's no doubt about it. He can shoot. We just got to find. We got to find a way to put him in a better position. You know, to get him the ball more. I believe he's a. I believe he can be a completely dominant player. Now, uh, the one of the things that's kind of plagued him, I would say, at times. Uh, from the beginning of his career to now has been a little bit of inconsistency. But this is a guy who uh, I, I'm, 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 con- I'm convinced of, you know, maybe two years from now, the dude's playing in the NBA and averaging 13, 14 points a game, and we're all wondering why we couldn't get anything out of him. You know, I, I think he's got that type of capability. And, you know, look, with a one-two punch of Pippen and, and DeSue, and I know we don't have enough, and I get that. I, I accept that, and I completely understand that. But for me, it's just one of those cases. I get frustrated because I can tell and I can see uh, you either you either have what Dylan DeSue has or you don't. You can work at him, do whatever you got to do. But that guy has a natural talent that he was born with. Plus, he's got to drive. I just it, it frustrates me to see us have a caliber of a player uh, like him, and we can't do any better than we have. Yeah, I mean, gosh, that's the that's the story. Of the last three or four years, isn't it? Yeah, and the other story, uh, one of the other stories of the last three or four years is, you know, now I thought Cleveland did a good job defensively uh, against Auburn, but it is, you know, it's, it's, it's like I said, it, it's, so I think I said this maybe a couple of weeks ago, our our lack of, of any type of post uh, play on either side of the court, on offense or defense, is almost appalling at times. We literally don't have an interior game of any kind. And I don't, and it doesn't seem like we're really recruiting a, an, an, an interior game of, of any kind. So I don't know how this changes anytime soon. And, and it's just, frankly, it's, it's, it's tough because the truth of the matter is if I'm playing Vanderbilt, I know my, my, one of the things I'm going to do, I'm going to attack that rim. I'm going to do it until they prove to me they can't do it. And I've seen some pretty average players have some pretty big nights, uh, go, getting towards the paint against this basketball team who just simply has zero presence at the po- in the post. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm going to laugh. That's all you've got left at this point. Do you remember the old fantasy football commercial with John Gruden? This has probably been 10 or 15 years ago. And he's sitting on his computer watching this team in his league being drafted. He's like, what, all kickers? And and you see the guy on the other end, and it's Martin Gramatica. Do you remember that commercial? No. Sounds funny, but I don't remember. Yeah, I tried to find it on YouTube, and I couldn't. It it was it, it always tickled me, but that that kind of reminds me of stacking point guards. Yeah, I mean, I I think I won't say we got the perimeter locked down by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but I mean, I I'm, think the perimeter's you know, locked down the roster at this rate. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, all things, all things, you know, being equal. I mean, I look. I, I, if I feel com- if there's a place where I would feel a little bit confident about it, it might be at the point guard position. But I, I mean, I, I don't know. This team, <laughs> there, and I, you know, these kids play hard. They do. They try. But it's just, it's. I guess the only thing that I would try to say, because I'd like to have something good for the fans to to be able to rally around. I just don't know what that is. For this basketball team, I don't know where you start. I don't know where you, you say. Well, here's where we rally. I mean, the one thing that I will say is these kids do. They play hard. They they they, they do. And like I said, there's a couple. There's three or four conference wins that they definitely could have had that they didn't. They they just didn't find a way to get it done. And I don't. You know, I I don't really know what the answer is. I mean, I just don't think they have enough personnel. They're just not deep at all. You know and I don't know what you do about that. I mean, recruiting has to be the name of the game, and I don't dislike Stag, but I don't think that he takes recruiting all that seriously. No, I think he, he's he does not. More, I think he's more of a. I think he's more of a player development guy. And my thought process is, well, why not develop those guys who have more talent? 
than that, you know, who can win you those games. Uh, and then you develop those guys. I mean, I don't know. I just, I think to me, recruiting is not a, a is not something that you can kind of do. It ha- you have to be fully all in. This is college basketball, man. You can't, you, you can't scamp on anything and especially recruiting, you know, and maybe that's not what's happening, but it just seems like it. I think his point of retur- no return was two weeks ago. Because I think he still had a lot of that fan base that believed in him. And that Arkansas game, and especially the post game, I think a lot of the fan base turned on him after that. Right. Well, he's had a win since then. He has, but I, I don't know. It, it, it's weird. I, I did think that maybe them beating South Carolina would would reverse some of that, but it I don't think it did. I mean, I you read my board. I read my board. Yeah, yeah, but I, but I, you know, the the win was nice. But I, somebody posted the uh, the record for Vanderbilt. I, well, I don't know what it was over the last three years or something like that. It was like eight wins <laughs> in the last three or four years combined. You're thinking, wait, eight wins? You know, conference wise, and you know that's. That's 500 for one year. You spread that over a three- or four-year deal, that's guaranteed misery. That's an average of two wins, an average of two conference wins. I don't care who you are, how you slice it. I mean, losing just kills, and you know that, man. And and just think about it like this. I mean, think about it like this. You've got a fan base up north of us in Lexington who is clamoring and talking about how they need to have juniors and seniors on their basketball team when you never heard that before, you know, but they see what's going on, you know, and, and, and it's, man, losing is, is, is a, is, is a, is a disease, man. And it becomes a mindset just as much as winning does. And I don't, man, I, I don't know what the answer is for this basketball program. Um, if you ask me to speak truthfully, do I think the future of this program is Jerry Stackhouse? I just don't know how I can say that and be taken seriously. But if I say yes, I don't know how you take me seriously there. You know, I would like him to be, but it almost just seems to me, and maybe I'm dead wrong about that. And coach, if you're listening, it's nothing against you. Just it just doesn't seem like he really wants to be here. And maybe I'm completely misreading the room, and I and what I'm seeing is something that's only me, and I'm the only one that sees that. But it looks to me like he's just he's just there, you know. And this is dead come Jerry Stackhouse, man. This is not the way this was supposed to go down. But when I when I look at this program, when I evaluate it, when I watch us play, it's like we're just there. Oh, that's been private perception for longer than the fans started seeing those things. But, look, do you remember about this time two years ago, and this was not a popular remark that I made, but I think it turned out to be prophetic. I said, you start to look at Bryce Drew's record, and you start to reach sort of a point of no return because Bryce had lost just a ton of games. It was going through that year that they went winless in the league. And I started looking at his overall record and saying, hey, there's not just enough wins here. I mean, you started saying, what are they going to do next year? You know, it'll be a struggle for them to go 500. And then his record is this and that. And, you know, at that point, you project a little bit at end, see what the record would be. You take a step back. And I started saying, like, even if they go 8-8 eight and eight next year, his overall record's going to be X. And, you know, when you, when you take a step back at that and look at some of the players he's had, it just doesn't look good enough. And, you know, what is the formula to get this back? Um, you know, if they're not going to be recruiting one and dones who come in here and kill it, then you're looking at another year or two to get it back where it needs to be. And then you're looking at another losing season and on and on and on. I don't know if that makes sense, but let's let's say this, okay? Sackhouse went three and fifteen in the league last year. Let's say that that turns into two and fourteen this year. They win another game. Uh, they they don't play a couple games, so he's five and twenty nine. I mean, next year if Pippen and DeSue are back, uh, if they can land an impact transfer, maybe they win six or seven games in the league. Let's say you win six. 
Then you're 11 and what would that be? 40, 41 in the league. Um, he's, he's running into that spot where I don't see a lot of upside for them next year. And, and if Pippen and or Sue leave, then God help him. I don't know what he does. But he's running yeah. into that spot where the losses are piling up so quickly. And I just don't see a blueprint for a program where he starts turning us into a team that wins 10 to 12 games consistently like Kevin Stallings was doing a good job of doing. And unless he can show where that starts to happen, it just becomes, what's the point of all this, right? Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I I was kind of hoping, kind of hoping that when this first when when this I won't call this an experiment. I don't know if that's the right word. Maybe it is. Maybe it didn't. Um, where you would start to see people say, okay, uh, it's Jerry Stackhouse, and and kids were lining up for the opportunity to play for uh, a Jerry Stackhouse coach team, and. Mm, that just, I mean, you know, I mean, the, we've seen the connections here at help get Pippen Jr. there and all that, and I get that, but I don't, I just don't see it as, I, I thought that people might kind of be lining up to play for coach, and that really hadn't happened. Well, I think he's done better, but co- the co- the coach has got to be accessible. That that's That's the other side of that, yeah. And I do see now prospects talking about you know they talk to him a lot but I just wonder at this point is it too little too late because you form these relationships two and three years ahead of time so if he's just now starting to get that involved in it uh, you know that then you're looking at a delayed payoff of a couple of years I, I don't know I just don't know how and I look I don't think he's a bad coach I really don't I think he's a pro coach no, I don't and not a college coach. I just don't see how this results in a good way for anybody no, I'm I, I just going to go on the records right now saying I, I agree. I don't think that he's a bad coach either. Uh, but that, I mean, it's impossible to deny that this is not working. You know, wh- whatever whatever he is or is not, this is not working. You know, are we better than when we had uh, Bryce Drew? Um, I think so. I, I think so, but I'm not really sure. You know, I mean, and my question is, here, here's a question that we need to ask. Forget Vanderbilt. This is college basketball program anyway. How long should it take, Chris, to turn around a bad basketball program? Or at least show true signs of being pointed in the right direction? How long do you need? I think... I think you should be seeing it by the end of year two. And look, seeing it can materialize in a lot of different ways, right? It, it could be yeah. you see your team, maybe they're 12th in the league, but they're playing everybody within five points every night. Now, look, that that's you, you are seeing some of that. They've been competitive in games. But I think the bigger piece to that is, okay, a top 25 recruiting class or something where you're like, okay, they're going to get more talent in here. I, I just laughed when everybody was tweeting about, oh, he's got a top 20 recruiting class in July or whatever that was, and he was bragging about it, and all the Stackhouse defenders were jumping all over the people and calling them haters and say, look, he can recruit. Everybody's just up in arms about nothing. And I'm like, are you guys stupid? But Because – you could look at where the class was ranked, and I said this at the time, they don't have any more room for kids. And based on where rivals had ranked the kids, it was going to be a you know, a class that ranked somewhere between 60 and 75, probably closer to 70. That's exactly where they are. Um, yeah. that, see, that's the problem, because you start looking forward and you say, well, okay, um, even if, if Pippen and DeSue come back, you've got to add an impact transfer somewhere. They just haven't been very good at doing that. You have to say you need an impact freshman somewhere. I mean, maybe Dorsey or Daniels are, are one of those guys, but again, it's it's a collection of what they've already got. I just don't see the path going forward, and I'll go a step further, okay? 
here's a I don't know if this is a worst case scenario because maybe it doesn't matter, but let's say that he gets into the summer and he takes a job with the NBA. You're making a hire in July or August or whatever it is, and that's hard enough. The ship has sailed on players you can add. You're just pushing everything further down the road. Now, I don't know. I can argue like we did about Tennessee that the best thing for the Vols to do in football Mm -hmm. was that that program got so bad that maybe they should have just – uh, made the, oh gosh, I can't, the Kevin Steele. They just made him their interim coach. Maybe they should have stuck with that a year. Um, maybe if Jerry leaves for the NBA or somewhere, you give Ricardo Patton or somebody a call and just say, come come keep this seat warm for a year and, and, and keep it from getting worse and develop the kids we have and we'll pay you, you know, $100,000 a month for as long as we need you. And, and maybe that's your solution rather than going and trying to get a coach. But, um, boy, as bad as it is, I, I can see a couple ways where it gets worse, and, and one of them is losing one of their two key players to transfer, and the other would be uh, losing a coach not in April but in in July or August or something like that, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, because what I was going to kind of want to, you know, transfer and transform into is, you know, what do we have to do? Because we all – I mean, we're not going to break. We haven't broken any news today in regards to where we are. Uh, you know, the question now becomes, what can we do? You know, and can it be done under this particular coach? I don't know. I mean, I, I, don't, know the, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if this is salvageable. I don't, I don't know if he, can, if he uh, personally can rally this fan base. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it seems kind of unlikely at this point. Um, it's you know the SEC, which is, is 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 it's a good conference. I don't know that I'd call it a great conference by any stretch of the imagination. It's just two or three teams that I really like. But this is a time, this, this is a winnable time right now. You know this, this this you can win in the SEC. It's not dog eat dog and every single night. And there's like eleven really really good teams, and we're still the worst team in it. You know, and I. I, 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 at this point, I'm looking for answers. You know, how how can we make this? Because just rehashing where we are, everybody's tired of that. We know where we are. What can we do about it? Has to be the next answer, or at least the next important question has to be asked. And then there's, you know, will will Daniel Deermeyer, uh, will Chancellor Deermeyer, you know, because look, I, I think you even the people who have been as down as anybody on this football program will admit. You know, and it's and Rome wasn't built in a day, and I understand all that, but steps are being taken, you know, to try to rectify some of that. But are those same steps going to be taken in basketball? Two things, and I'll, I'll hit what you just hit on second. I do a podcast now with Blake Lovell, and we've added uh, a baseball guy. I'll, I'll let people listen to that. It's called The Fourteen. It's a daily SEC podcast to do that now. Uh, if you're out there and you like what we do here, you're really going to like that there too. Uh, we're going to cover the SEC very in-depth, and it, it's, it's something I'm really excited to get off the ground. It's been about four months in planning. We just launched it last week. But Blake and I were talking about Vanderbilt in particular in an episode this week, And Blake said it, I thought, really well. He said, you look around the league and you tell me one program that they're able to hop over. Tell me the path to it, how they do it. And I thought, man, that's that's the best way you can say it. Because the the, the easy target right now was Texas A&M. A&M is is about as bad as Vanderbilt right now. And, 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 of course, they just keep getting games canceled left and right. They had another one canceled today. Um, and any time a, a program is having a bunch of games like that canceled and it's a bad season, uh, I start asking questions about morale because, frankly, uh, you saw it with the women's team. They took their pass out. You can tell me all you want about safety issues and, uh, and, and COVID and health and whatever. No, that's a bunch of kids that didn't want to play for a coach. Um, and any time I see that, you wonder. I, 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 don't know, I don't know what the case is there. But 
even as bad as things are at A&M, you look at Buzz Williams and look at what he did at Marquette at Virginia Tech. You know, you look at the recruiting base he's got in Texas. Are they even going to pass A&M? I don't see it. I wouldn't put my money on it. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so there's that. I'm just but, like, but you, all you're doing is, but, I mean, but all that's doing is just exactly what I was just talking about a second ago. Just talking about where we're at. We know that. We know where we're at. What we need to know now is how to get out of there. We all, everybody knows where we are. Well, and, you know, and that is where, that's where the me. chancellor has got to lead. Okay. And, and you can say all you want about the athletic. That was a chancellor's call on the football coach being gone. He's got to change the culture. I don't know how much pushback he gets internally about paying a football coach a buyout and doing that with a basketball coach. But if that's where they are at the end of the season, he's got to do it. And I think he can look up and say, hey, look, we've neglected sports for years. So so don't give me this. Um, it, it's their turn to remedy some deficiencies here and, and have at it. Because what Vanderbilt has done historically is just double down and down and down and down again. Everybody knew David Williams needed to go years before he did. And, and nobody right. did anything. And that just got worse and worse and worse. And you look at the position they're in now. You look at how they screwed up the AD hire. Uh, it, boy, that was – I'm telling you what, in, in all the bad decisions that have been made at Vanderbilt, there's been tons of them, I think the way they botched that hire – and went from having Boo Corrigan to the mess it became uh, maybe the worst thing that's ever happened to them. Because um, I think this has got a couple more years to play out in, in both hoops and football uh, before even a pretty good coach can can get that straightened out. So that's, that's the tax between hanging on to David, uh, making an awful hire, making it worse by not going and getting a legit AD. And you look at all that's wrought. Uh, we've, we've had that podcast many a time. But you look at Derek Mason. If you were paying attention to what happened from year one and how disorganized it was, you had to look at that and you say, okay, you, you never know, right? I mean, Derek, because Derek got to two bowls and they came close to winning seasons. But I'll tell you, the odds were steep against that happening at that point. And, and even when the, the, the quote-unquote payoff got there, which was six and seven seasons, payoff wasn't that great. Um, you, you look at Stephanie White's first couple years, that has not rectified itself. It's not going to as long as she's here. And now I think you're in that situation in basketball. But what they have typically done is double down and double down and double down and tell everybody why they're wrong. Um, and, and I think that's got to be the spirit that they attack this. They've just got to look at it and say, hey, look, this isn't working. It's going to be expensive. It's going to be expensive to, to, to move on maybe, but it's going to get expensive too if we continue where we are. And, and that's the thing where Vanderbilt's got to change Vanderbilt is typically it will continue to kick the can down the road as long as it can. Now, I, I have hope with the chancellor uh, that, that in football – you know, we we have a recent example where the chancellor led in a different way, but they have got to get out of that Vanderbilt mindset. And I, I've said this for years on the podcast, when you know it's a bad situation that's just not going to work, you do the tough thing, you move on then and there, or else you keep making the problems worse. And, and man, that has just played out so many times here. Oh, I've been saying that for years. I mean, I, I, I always, you know, I always say that when you know, you know you don't have the guy. You, you do something about it. <laughs> you, you you do something about it. I've been saying that for years, and I to and I totally agree with that. But you know, it's like I said. I mean, you're you're right. My my question is: Is the chancellor going to put you know uh, the the effort into changing that culture around? It can't be just him, but he has to be the catalyst for basketball the way that he looks like he clearly is doing for football. Because I like I like the moves I'm seeing out of football. I I just do. You know, somebody, nobody's going to talk me off of that. And it's not, it's not wishful thinking. I just, I, everything just seems to be different. You know, the approach, now they haven't played a single football game and haven't had practice, you know, but just the approach to everything, the, the attention to detail uh, is very different. So, you know, hopefully that is a sign of things to come. I just wonder if, if that's going to be the case for basketball too, because I mean, honestly, growing up as a boy, uh, that's the one thing that I could count on all the time is consistently good basketball and haven't had that for a while. So, I mean, that's, that's next, you know, that's what has to be next. Baseball is, is certainly on 
the firmest of grounds and football is headed in the right direction. I do believe now, now we got to see, you know, what's, what's next with basketball. Shall we go to the mailbag? I'm begging you. All right. Our mailbag is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan, Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of all your insurance needs. Call Josh today, 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshmintonhq or facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He's my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell him you heard about his insurance business on our podcast. H.D. Uh, Young says, pretend you are Vandy's AD. How are you analyzing basketball, and what is a timeline to see what you need to determine what comes next? You know, that's an interesting question, and that's kind of a hard question to ask because, I mean, look, Daniel Deermeyer clearly doesn't know more about basketball than, than, than Jerry Stackhouse. What you have to do, I think, first of all, you sit down and, and, and you have a long discussion with, with, with Jerry Stackhouse about what he thinks about the program, where it is, the job that he's done, where they're going, uh, the emphasis that he repla- that he places on recruiting and all the and all the things. Uh, but but the issue here for me is I, I think he's also going to have to not just listen to Jerry Stackhouse, uh, but several people that know the game and know the sport and know the the, the history of this program and, and, and talk to them and rely on them and say, this is what I'm hearing from my coach. How do you see the program? You know, where are we in conjunction with where we've been and the people that we're lining up against every week, you know, and every night in the SEC? You know, where are we right now? And and, and do a lot of internal inventory right now, you know, because I I don't know. I, it, it, there was such a large vocal outcry about the about how far down uh, Vanderbilt football was. You know, that I, I don't think that Daniel Deermar could help but hear about it. You know, I guess my question is, will is is that same, is there that same sense of desperation for basketball? Because I'll be honest with you, it sounds to me like a lot a lot of you have just completely given up and are at the point where you're just like, yeah, whatever. I don't even really care at this point, you know. And the thing with football is, is even though everybody was utterly disgusted, they've wanted so bad for so long for that program to to get back up there. Because at the end of the day, you don't have to admit it if you don't want to, but you know that in the SEC that football is king. You know it's true. Uh, and they and this fan base would do anything uh, to to have a steady, consistent football program. Uh, my question is, is that same outcry there? Uh, to the point where Daniel Deermeyer has to address it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, and boy, that's an interesting question. Um, I don't think publicly it has been. I mean, the, the last two weeks have been where the, the tide has turned. I, I think that the way they lost that Arkansas game, uh, oh, by the way, with, with the coach in his second year at a program that was trying to build back. Uh, so, again, that's a... That's a good mirror to hold yourself up to is you look what Arkansas is doing in year two of a coach uh, versus what Vanderbilt's doing. And and then I think, though, I'm telling you, privately, the people that I know that are this close to the program have been up in arms since he got here and how it's been run. And so I just want to know who's got his ear, right? Because if it's just public barometer – you can kind of dismiss it and say, well, he's in his second year and hasn't had that much time, doesn't have his players, any one of a million things you could cite, right? But yeah. if you listen to people privately, um, you know, they've been they've been screaming in my ear about this since he coached since before he coached his first game. Uh and, and it's all come home to roost. So I guess my question is Where's the chancellor's ear to the ground in this, right? Is is it is it listening yeah. to the public narrative? He's just going to say, well, you know, of course people are upset. It's been a long year and any number of rationalizations you can make. Or, or is he dialed in at more of a ground level listening to people who can give him specifics? That's what I'd like to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and that's what I'm trying to figure out, you know, that, you know, 
and and just exactly where he's where that 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 concern is going to be coming from. So there's a, there's a lot to there, there's a lot to digest there, but you know I I think it starts with some tough conversations that the cancer is going to have to have. You know how bad how bad do you want to be here? You know, yeah, I mean, are you ready to? Would you say if I if I'm coach or if I'm a chancellor, dear myself, would you say that you have put everything you have into this program? And if the answer is yes, then we really have a problem because there, there's really not a good answer here. Because if the answer is yes, then this means that okay, this is the best that this guy can do, and there's no way I believe that. Or the answer is no, and then the question is, well, why? Well, his answer might sincerely be yes in a way. Well, I I, I think that's that's strong. I mean, look, he does. He's never been in a college program as a coach. He doesn't know what it takes. He doesn't have a barometer. I mean, you could say Dean Smith, twenty five years ago or whatever it's been. I guess longer than that now. But I think by that point, Dean Smith had even. You know, he won his national titles and been to his Final Fours. I don't know that he was putting in the hours that he used to at that point. Um, you know, so I, I don't know that that's a, even a great barometer. I'm, I'm speculating some there, but look, yeah, I mean, for sure. I, 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 you don't know what you don't know. And, and the problem is he surrounded himself with guys who've never been in the college game. And the two guys he had who'd been there were David Grace and Ricardo Patton. And he fired one of them to hire a greenhorn, and the other one basically wasn't was told his ideas were not welcome, uh, which I think was really stupid. But th- that's that's the lay of the land. I mean, I, I don't know that Jerry, and, and again, Jerry's not stupid. Jerry's not a bad coach, but you're telling that guy to make an assessment when when he doesn't have something to compare it to, and that's one of your problems. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's. You know, the first question is going to be from the chancellor: Are we, are we satisfied? You know, because we've 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 done some big talking, you know, about what the expectations are athletically at this in this the athletic department. You know, so does is that does that is that across the board? Does that count for basketball too? And like I said, he's going to have to have, I think, at the end of the year, some pretty tough conversations. This next one comes from J2M. Is this the worst shooting Vanderbilt team ever? Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that I can remember. You know, but you know, I mean, we have a couple guys when they get hot, they can shoot. You know, I like Trey Thomas. He's a decent young shooter. Maxwell, when he gets in one of his moods, he can he can drain. Uh, Scotty can shoot. But overall, yeah, I mean, but you know, I mean, one of the things that they have to deal with, Chris, is that since they have no consistent inside scoring, how much, how, if you, let me ask you a question. Defensively, if you were a coach playing them, you're an SEC coach, you're playing Vanderbilt, how much, how much time are you going to spend, uh, you know, trying to seal off the paint? You know, and, and I know Vanderbilt can, can score. And, and we say they're this terrible shooting team, but they actually don't really have a huge problem scoring points. I think that's over. I think people, this one to me is easy, okay? I mean, I, I'll give them this, okay? They are fun to watch, watch on some nights because of Pippen and DeSue. Yeah. The two teams that, that I've covered that I just wanted to poke my eyes out were the, uh, the the teams in 2013 and 14. The, the 2013 team in particular, um, and, and this is the team where you, you're starting Kyle Fuller and, and Rod Odom and Dijon Parker. Not that those are bad players, but they were all miscast. Like, Rod Odom is your shooter. Now, Rod, Rod's your, your third guy on a decent team, right? Um, yeah. And those were the teams. I'm looking at Ken Palm. They were 112th nationally in three-point shooting and 266th in two-point shooting. That would have been 13. And in 14, they were 284th in three-point shooting and 112th in two-point. Those were the teams that you felt like if you if they cracked 60 on a given night, um, it, was a, it was an offensive shootout for that bunch. Now, that was also a different time, too. I think the games were called differently. 
they let a lot more contact go, and that had something to do with it. But no, this team's better. I mean, you've got Pippen's a, a good shooter, or not bad. You know, Dassault's got some ability. You know, you, you could see a Ryder and Evans or a Trey Thomas jump up on some nights. I don't think that this is the worst shooting team I've seen at Vanderbilt, even in the last decade. Yeah, that's that's why I'm saying because no, I mean I at my first one, I thought yeah, but then I get to thinking no, this team can score points. That's that's not really their issue. So no, this is not the worst shooting team I've seen. Okay, let's move to football. Pedor says, have you heard anything about any of the opt-outs rejoining the team and specifically offensive linemen? Not any more than what we talked about last week. You know, and I think the names that you and I both uh, talked about were, uh, what, what, Cole Clemens and who, who was, uh, hopefully maybe a guy like Jonathan Stewart, you know, from, from a depth and experience standpoint, he would have loved to have kept Glenn Miller, I mean, Glenn Miller, good grief, Grant Miller. Of course, he's already uh, moved on to, was it, was it Baylor, Chris? Is that right? That's I, correct. I he headed to Baylor. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the two I'm kind of keeping my eye on are those two guys. I, have you heard anything new? No, I made an inquiry a couple of weeks ago. I did not sense that they were ready to comment on it yet. So I, I would think that I'm I'm 99% sure Bryce Bailey is back. And I think that Stewart and Clemens are too. I don't know what Spinellis does. I, I don't know where he is in terms of his schooling, uh, yeah, I don't know that he'd want to come back for what that be a fifth or sixth year I, for I him. I feel like he really needed to. I yeah, mean, he, he, he. I've really at times I felt like he got overwhelmed uh, in, in those games. Um, Wait, who are we I talking really about? Smellis. Smellis didn't play. Um, the the kid from. Uh, oh, oh, you mean when he was at Michigan? I got you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no, and actually, no. I was talking about the guy. I, I'm sorry, the, the young man that played on the right side of the line last year. Um, oh, there were several no, of them. <laughs> no, 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 no. This was a this was a transfer. This was a transfer, and they plugged him in at right tackle. And I think. Oh, the right kid goal. from Central Connecticut, uh, Mignon. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 Mignon. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. He, uh, to me, he got overwhelmed last year. Uh, what I'd like to see is the young man from West Virginia. You know, I, I, I'll i be honest with you. I didn't see him at West Virginia, and I did. I don't remember his recruiting, so I, I don't know a lot about him. I know the size is certainly there, uh, but I, I, I would love to be able to plug this, uh, a transfer in like that, maybe uh, fill in those shoes, get a couple of those opt-outs back in. And, you know, and I'll tell you something else, maybe one or two of these linemen, of course, Ashmore was, was a starter last year as a true freshman. Uh, what I am looking forward to listening to, I didn't get the chance to have started to last night, got interrupted, uh, was Justin and Sean's uh, podcast, uh, I guess, video, if you will, podcast, whatever, uh, on the incoming offensive linemen. Now, I know they did one of those videos and posted it up on your website. I'm I'm looking real forward to seeing that because what I do like, I really, really like the offensive line class uh, that's that's coming in. I felt like they got some beef. They got some guys who I think are legit SEC players uh, on the offensive line, and I expect them to be uh, contributors, uh, two or three of those guys in the next year or so. So I'm really looking forward to listening to that. Tampa Door says, Seabass, are you aware of anyone inside Vanderbilt that feels athletic director Candace Story Lee will be in a different role within Vanderbilt? What do you think the chances are that she is the new AD at Wake Forest next year? Yeah, that's a definite Chris thing. Uh, that, that's I, I couldn't even begin to uh, to address that. Do I think she's going to be a Wake Forest? What because of Susan Wentz? Maybe I, you know I, I don't I don't know. I mean she's got such a long ties to, to Vanderbilt, you know. Been there, uh, you know, played there, been there for a long, long time. Could she end up Wake Forest? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. As far as uh, what I've heard, no, that's definitely a Chris thing. Well, they have invested so much energy in promoting her and and shielding her from blame and uh, trying to give her credit for things that I just, I I think privately, I, I don't think that there's a ton of confidence in there, but to make that move public, especially after a year, and to force her out, I just don't see it happening. I don't see her going to Wake Forest. 
Um, you know, wh why would you leave Vanderbilt on your own to go do that? Um, and, and yeah, I don't know how long John Curry's at Wake, what his contract is. I just don't see it. Now, I think maybe you offer her a position in academia with the Rays, which I think she makes $800,000, so you have to pay her a lot. Maybe you try to sweeten the pot and do that. But my guess is she's the AD uh, this time next year when we're doing this too. And I don't think that – I don't see her picking up and, and heading to Wake. But anyway – one never knows. Is it anyway? <laughs> well, I mean, look, this this is home, and, and Winston-Salem's fine, but given the choice between the two and, you you know, having friends here and all those things, I just don't think that's a move you you make, especially when you, you're in really good shape here with what you're making and how the university has tried to support you and, and all those things. Right. Oh, I agree. No, I totally agree. Seymour says, or Seymour 83 says, who would be your first choice as head coach if Jerry Stackhouse is let go? Penny Hardaway. I'm just, just, <laughs> just kidding, Chris. Uh, though, before I answer that, did I see that, uh, that they were trying to set up some type of tournament that was going to, or some type of, of a series or something like that that was going to that was that was going to pit Vanderbilt and and uh and and Memphis playing each other in basketball did I see that right I have not seen that Oh, I read that somewhere that they were talking about potentially uh doing a I don't know if it's either uh, have them in a playing each other in a tournament or in a, a series that they were trying to set up between uh Vanderbilt and 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 Memphis. I personally would love that. I I I want that. You know, I know they generally recruit different players in sports uh for those two uh schools, but you know, I've always wanted them to be playing each other in football and basketball and baseball and all that. So I would love to make that happen. Happen as far as who I would like to see as basketball coach. You know, I mean, I know it's not sexy. I know there was a thread about it a couple of weeks ago, and I, I just I thought that that was spot on because I think that's kind of what we, what who we what we are. You know, and and what what we kind of I don't know if aspire to be, but kind of the style we play that we're used to. Uh, but I just think that Casey Alexander would make all the sense in the world. Now, I mean, you may not agree with that at all, but you know, I, I saw that thread, and I saw a lot of people who felt the same way. And he's been he's dominating the OVC right now, and and I just. Uh, I mean, I, I I like the guy. I think he's one hell of a basketball coach, and I would love to see him in Nashville at Vanderbilt. Yeah, I know they haven't played anybody, but they've lost one game this year, and I think they were the first to 20 wins. Yeah, I got, you know, I mean, that's a well-coached basketball team. It just is, and we can talk about not playing anybody, but, you know, we lose to nobody all the time. I am relatively sure that had they offered him the job two years ago he would have taken it and if they offered him the job tomorrow i bet they could still get him i really do thank you yeah i mean look casey is 48 49 i mean i i think that your chances to coach at a power five level you know are they don't happen often, you know. I mean, you, you have to kind of strike when the iron is hot on one of those. You know, he, he's got ties because he played at Belmont. He, he's known here. He's very well known and liked in the community. Good guy by all – basically everybody likes the guy from what I can see. I I, I still think – I still think it makes a lot of sense for him if that's what he wanted to do. So you'd sign off on that too? Oh, right? in a heartbeat, yes. Uh, that okay. would be – if you said, who's the guy that I think is most realistic to get, uh, if you could make the hire, who would it be? I think it's him. Now, you never know. You just never know who comes out of the woodwork and wants the job. Uh, and, and people still, you know, they love Nashville. They love the conference. They see the school – is having a lot of great things. You don't have the pressure to win uh, by doing a lot of things that you have to do at a lot of other places. I think the job is still, gosh, for as, for as bad as it is, 
I just think it's those external factors that still give it some attractiveness. I, I would I would guess that if they offered him the job, they could still get him. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, I mean, look, we still have a coach now, and he, I still support him. I just I need to see something different, not just play out the string and do the whole stupid thing again next year. That's, you know, and and, and so who knows? But if that job did come open. You had, the, the question was who I would look at, and I, I think that he would fit perfectly for us. Bex for VU says, at what point in your career do you start to have confidence in and expectations of um, of your playing football in college? Me? Talking about me personally? Yeah, the, the question is, when at your point in your junior high or high school career did you think you could play college ball? Oh, oh okay. Uh Wow. I mean, the desire, the want to was from the time I was a little boy growing up in Texas. Um, when I, I would say, because I remember, Chris, I, I remember ninth grade, 10th grade, 10th grade, excuse me, because ninth graders couldn't play uh, high school uh, in Memphis where I was there. Um, and I remember thinking when I got there, I was like, holy crap, these guys are way too big. You know, I went from playing seventh graders and eighth graders and, 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 and some ninth graders and these guys, these guys I'm going up against are six, five, you know, 285 pounds. This is, this is crazy. And I thought to myself, there's, I can't do this. I'm in over my head. And, uh, that was just in practice. And I remember our very first game was against Marion, Arkansas. And, uh, I went in, uh, and we and I was and they played me at a zero technique on that on the defensive side of the ball, and on the very first play of the game, I got a quarterback sack. It's my very first high school football play ever, and I got a quarterback sack. And I thought to myself, "Well, this isn't that hard. They're big, but they're not very good." Uh, and I just started having a lot of success uh, from right then and there. But as far as uh, college, I, it, it would have to be when I first started camping in my junior year, and I was already playing well, but then I would go up, go up to some of these camps and some of the other guys from around the state and around the region and other states, and I was performing in every bit as good as they were, you know, even if they were bigger than me. And I thought to myself, you know, well, this I, I can I can absolutely do this. So was there one particular moment? No. But I knew by the time that I was getting ready to go to my senior year that I was going to, you know, that I was good enough to. And I, I think one of the things that helped me out, Chris, was I came, you know, I was born and raised in southeast Texas in Houston where, in football mecca. And, you know, I was, I'm not really talking crap, but I was really good then, you know, in that area, you know, and if you're good then, you're good there. You, you know you can cut it with just about anybody. So that by the time, you know what, I take it back. There is a moment where I, I, I guess it really all kind of came together. It was in my senior year, Chris. Uh, I already knew that I was going to play in college, but uh, it was a high school coach that, that that said something to me that maybe kind of made me just sit back and say, holy smokes. Uh, we were playing, I'm sure you know MUS, Memphis University School. Uh, of course. And and just so you know, I played at an inner city Memphis school. Uh, we were not really very good, and we only had 24 players on my, se- my senior year on my team. Not 24 seniors, 24 players. <clears throat> and we were playing M- MUS, and they had a Mr. Football. God believe he won Mr. Football at right tackle. And I spent four quarters religiously taking him apart all night long, the backfield the whole night. And uh, now we lost 56 to seven. It was 49 to nothing at the half. Uh, We played terribly. I had a great game and I'm not talking crap. I'm just answering the question. And after the game, what was his name? Jake Rudolph, the late, great Jake Rudolph, who's a legendary coach or was a legendary coach in the state of Tennessee. Uh, he came up to me after the game and he said, son, uh, you absolutely destroyed my all-state tackle all night long. How would you like to play for MUS next year? 
he said that to me right after the game. My best friend was standing right next to me. Oh, wow. And he came up to me and he said, how would you like to play for MUS next year? And I said, Coach Rudolph, I would absolutely love to play for MUS next year, but I'll be playing in college next year. I'm a senior. <laughs> and uh, but he, but when he asked, he you know he he said, "How would you like to play for MUS next year?" I just, I mean, you talk about beaming with pride because we just lost by 49 points. You yeah. know, they killed us. It was 49 to nothing at the half. But it wasn't lost on him what I did to his first team, and he that kid went on to play uh, at. I think Princeton, if I remember correctly, and uh, was Mr. Football. And he got dealt with all night long. And, uh, <laughs> and, and that's not, I know it may sound like I'm talking Yang, but I'm not a Yang talker. I'm not. Uh, that's what went down. That's how it happened. And when he said that to me, uh, it, it, it made me feel really good. It made me feel like, you know, I I really am a good football player, you know, and so just that recognition for a, from a legend like him, I guess if there's a moment, then that would have been it. That's a good story. Yeah, yeah, it was. I'll never forget that. I'll never. We were right there on the fairgrounds, and right after the game, and I mean, I couldn't even hardly hold myself up. I was really tired because, I mean, well, you know, fifty-six to seven will do that to you. But had a good game, but geez, you know, at the end of the day, I didn't care about. You know, the fact that I had a good game, we lost by 49. That's all I knew. You know, so for him to come up and say that to me meant a lot. My friend, we are out of mailbag questions. I'm going to be helping David celebrate his seventh birthday tonight. We had a snow day here. It didn't snow. Yeah, we've had a, had a big day already. He was out of school for snow and um, played with his presence a little bit and Got some donuts. It's been a it's been a fun day. You um, you know, you, you don't get many of these, and and we make the most of them here in the house. So it's it's been a it's going to be a fun night for the Lees. Well, I hope the Lees have a great evening, my friend. Well, and tell folks where they can listen to your show, follow you on Twitter, anything else like that. All right. Well, folks, you can find me on Twitter at, at Cheap Seats Bass, and you can listen to my show on 101.5 Monday through Friday, 6 to 8 p.m. in Jackson, Tennessee. It's called The Cheap Seats in year number 21. Take care, my friend. Thank you, brother. All right. He's Seabass. I'm Chris Lee, host of the Vandy Sports Podcast. We appreciate you listening, and we'll be back with more episodes probably right around the first of next week. So be sure to look for those.